In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our text is the Gospel reading, which I've already read. You may be seated. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, I want to take just a slight issue with just the last word of that text. The Greek text there does not necessarily use the word money in Matthew 6. Our Bible translates translates it as money, but the King James, the older translation of the Bible that a lot of churches still use, uses the word mammon there in that text. That That word actually appears in some of our hymns. They just take the Greek word mammon, put it in English letters, and drop it right into the King James Bible. I like the word mammon because while it does encompass money, it also encompasses a whole lot of other things. While there are lots of warnings in the Bible about the love of money and the love of riches, mammon is just about anything that we would find comfort in that is not God. It could be money, which is probably our most common idol among both the rich and the poor, but it could be something like a big house, wanting your kid to be really, really good at baseball. When I talk about priorities and the divine service in my catechism class, I usually put it like this. Whenever you have two things that are happening at the exact same time, whichever one you choose to do without question is the most important one to you. Otherwise, you wouldn't choose that one. Now, so merely as an intellectual exercise, this should be relatively obvious to Christians. If we serve something else, we are not serving our God. It's not like folding clothes and watching television. You cannot multitask with your affections. I was recently given some very good advice that I think really helps illustrate this point, and I'm going to pass that on to you now. When you have something that you know that you should be doing, but your flesh starts to distract you from it, You should simply say out loud exactly what you're thinking. So, for instance, if I'm supposed to be studying for my sermon, and I think it would be good to take a little break and watch some YouTube videos, I might say out loud, and I actually do say that I talk to myself a lot in the office. They're called staff meetings. But I say out loud, I am going to watch YouTube instead of working on my sermon. Now, to put it in your context, you might think it's a good idea, for instance, to take a Sunday off from church at some point and and stay home. I understand the weeks are long, the nights are short, short, and you get tired. So, you might say to yourself out loud, I'm going to stay in bed today rather than go to church. You might have a tournament next Sunday, so you might say out loud, I'm going to play volleyball rather than go to church. Now, what this does is that it shows the ridiculous nature of these kinds of temptations. It exposes them for what they really are. They are lies that the devil tells us to take our eyes off of Jesus. So, as Jesus says, 
You cannot serve two masters. But what does that have to do with the rest of our text? Jesus goes on to say a lot of things about worry and anxiety, and that seems like a bit of an abrupt change in what's happening. However, something to keep in mind with today's gospel reading in particular is that it's part of Jesus' larger Sermon on the Mount, which starts at the beginning of Matthew 5 and goes all the way to the end of Matthew chapter 7. This is one continuous monologue that Jesus gives to us, and this verse that we've kind of been ruminating on a little bit about serving two masters is actually here as a signpost to give us a deeper understanding of why it is that Jesus tells us not to worry. They are connected. Jesus uses the word, therefore. You cannot serve two masters. Therefore, do not worry about your life. That, therefore, tells us that worry is a symptom of a greater problem. Jesus places a few examples before us, including the needs of the body, food, drink, and clothing. And as far as needs go, these are our most basic needs. Even modern sociologists will agree with Jesus here that we cannot live life without these basic needs. I think there was something called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, and these are part of that, that need structure. But even with these things, Jesus tells us, do not be anxious about your life. The birds don't plant a crop. God feeds them. God even clothes the grass of the field, which today is here, but tomorrow is withered and burned. And it is clothed in greater splendor than Solomon was at his height of glory. The psalmist teaches us, he gives food to every creature. He provides food for the cattle and for the young raven when they call. And so, when Jesus here today tells us not to worry, this is more than just friendly advice. In fact, this is a rebuke. Jesus here is calling us to repent and to believe in the gospel. Jesus is teaching us that worry is nothing more than covetousness for something that God has not yet given to us. But what is covetousness? Well, we talk about it in the ninth and 10th commandments when we hear, you shall not covet. But what does God say about that word in particular? Well, in Colossians 3, God says, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is, he says, idolatry. When we hanker for something that we don't have, even when that thing is a basic human need, our true colors show through. It shows that we fear, love, and trust in something other than the one true God. So, Let's use money as an example. We love money. We fear losing it. We trust that it'll be there when it's time to write the checks to pay the bills. But if it's not, then we're given over to worry. This reminds me of the parable of the talents. You might remember this parable that Jesus tells. A guy 
gives some money to some of his servants so that they can conduct business. As he goes off on a long journey, he gives uh, like five talents to one guy, two talents to another guy, and one talent to another guy. So with this kind of thinking, we usually think, well, if I were just to win the lottery, I'd give all this money to the church or to the school or to all these different charities. But how often, if we're really honest with ourselves, are we like the one guy who buries his one talent in the ground? We're just not that good with our money because we're afraid of it running out on us. But again, mammon does not just include money. The plague that we're facing has created an anxiety unlike many of us have ever seen and probably will ever see in our lifetimes. And it runs the entirety of the spectrum. It doesn't matter what your, what your stance is, it has caused an anxiety among us. Some are continually checking the color coding system for our county. And as numbers tick up again, I see more and more concern about what precautions are in place and which ones aren't, and what should we be doing versus what should we be mandating. And as the vaccines continue to roll out, I see more and more folks worrying about things like passports and mandates and all of that stuff. Now, full disclosure, I am not above sin in this. I have, in fact, become grumpier about this whole thing, which is not a godly reaction. And Andrea, you're smiling because you know that it's true. Jesus comes to us today with a rebuke about our worry. Whatever it might be, however it might express itself, worry is a sin because it shows that we do not trust in God alone. Repent. Believe the gospel. After all, if we cannot extend our lives even one single hour, what good is it? Jesus here reminds us of a much more important fact that ought to guide our thinking and our reaction to the world. He reminds us that we are, in fact, the children of God. We are so much more valuable to God than birds and flowers. After all, God did not send an angel to save our race. God did not take on flesh to save flowers and grass and birds. God's Son took on flesh and blood just like us in order to redeem us from sin and from death and from the power of the devil. He took on our full humanity to suffer hunger and thirst and even the pains of death. This is what compassion means. Not that God feels sorry for us in our misery, but that he comes down to suffer with us. And even better yet, he comes to suffer in our place. You see, dear saints, this is exactly how it is that the Father knows our needs, as Jesus says, even before we place them before him in prayer. Yes, God created us. He wrote the owner's manual, so to speak. But in becoming one of us, Jesus intimately knows those things that worry us. The writer of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy 
and find grace to help in time of need. Dear Saints, Jesus knows those things that cause you to worry. He has suffered those things, and he has suffered in our place. Instead, today, he comes to give you the true treasure that we ought to seek after, his kingdom and his righteousness. For where Jesus is, there is God's kingdom and there is God's righteousness for us. And in your baptism into Christ, you were made a child of God and an heir of everything that belongs to him. And because of that, he promises that he will neither leave you nor forsake you. If you are a child and heir of all that God has, that means that even our earthly needs, even those things that are essential to the bodily, bodily life, are not the purpose of our lives. Instead, our true treasure, our true completion, is Christ. He is our heavenly treasure. He is the one who opens his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. And he comes to show you how valuable you are. He gives you the purchase price of his body and blood with which he won you to give to you as your treasure and as your righteousness. And so, as Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Even more so, sufficient is the power of Christ to save us from all things. In Jesus' name, amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.